Hello and welcome to Sharp China. I'm Andrew Sharp, and you are listening to a free preview of today's episode. I think you know it happened because it happened on a weekend where I think the censorship, the, the censors are a little shorter staffed or less staffed, mm-hmm. so more stuff was getting through on on platforms like like WeChat. Um, I would expect some companies who maybe allowed some of this information to spread are probably going to have some uh, challenges, difficult, or difficult conversations. conversations yeah. Um, because they, you know, they're the ones who get held responsible for 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 the censorship. You know, what'll be interesting too to see is, you know, usually at sort of this stage of a protest, like the students, the ones who remained on campus, most likely they won't get in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. It'll just be they'll get a talking to, they get sent home. You know, they're they're sort of treated a little more gently than people who actually take to the streets. Right. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, well, and and to put a finer point on it, as far as the frustration is concerned, I mean, even in the West, we learned that alongside health concerns, there are other human costs to a lockdown strategy. We never locked down, but quarantining, stay at home. There are other social costs that are harder to measure, but are nonetheless real. And the Chinese people have been dealing with so much worse and like cuts that go right to the bone in terms of like what you can and can't do so it's not surprising to see some sort of eruption somewhere along yeah. the way and, and i think you know and, and again i i you know there, there's there's lots of commentary and you know politicians here and in other countries standing up and saying you know we have to support the protesters and you know you you, you want to hope that there's there there's some you know potential for positive change coming out of this i think you know there's certainly even if the security services are successful in nipping this in the bud, as as a, to use a the phrase they use, uh, and, and so we don't see a repeat of these these this sort of protests on this sort of scale or um, geographic dispersion, there's no question that it's corrosive, mm-hmm. right? Because lots of people know about these protests, even if they didn't participate. And, you know, the flip side too is, are these going to be used as a pretext for more uh, for, for an upgrading of the surveillance and security systems and services? And also as the sort of the classic blame the hostile foreign forces card gets played, what that really means is blame the U S backed hostile foreign forces. Yeah. And so what does that mean for um, Americans still in China could potentially be um, put some of them in a difficult spot, especially journalists especially U.S. journalists. And then what does it mean for, uh, you know, we sort of had a, a a breather in the U.S.-China relationship downturn with the Biden-Xi meeting a couple weeks ago. I think it's probably going to be a reminder that it's not really a reset. It's a try and put a floor there, but the generally structurally the problems are uh, yeah. too large to overcome anytime soon. Yeah, the conflict between autocracy yeah. and democracy. But I mean, the idea, you know, I mean, again, I think there are people, you know, there are probably people in D.C. who would love to be so skilled that they could like have the CIA go in and manage these, like organize these protests. But the idea that the like the U.S. somehow organize these things, I mean, come on. Yeah, well, it's ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. No, no less ridiculous than the Antifa theories on right. January. And 6th. there are some. There's at least one video. I think it was from the Beijing protest where somebody somebody said, "Oh, we we've learned that they're hostile. You know, they're foreign forces in the crowd." And there's like, what? Which ones? Marx, Lenin, <laughs> Stalin? You know, like which which foreign forces are you talking about? Right. Well, and and on the U.S. side, 
So I want to bounce around some tweets in the second half of this episode because there's so many different angles. And I was consuming a lot of this news. No free ads for Elon, but Twitter was actually very no. Tw- useful. This last few days was a reminder of the just the absolute um, irreplaceability. Like Twitter is irreplaceable in this kind of situation. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there's nothing for all this talk about something else could replace it or post news or whatever. Mastodon, I mean, forget about it. This is why... It Twitter. Was we all have to hope that Twitter survives in one in a relatively okay form. Indeed, I came away for the last couple of days reminded of how important yeah. Twitter can be. But this tweet from Graham Webster, he says, "People say the U.S. government should say nothing about the China protests. What is the State Department spokesperson supposed to say when asked? Quote: I don't have anything on that. Not realistic. They can go a hundred different directions, but silence isn't likely." And this came in response to others who were worried about what the U.S. might say and whether they might fan the flames in a counterproductive way. So what were some of the specific worries about well, like, idea, where does again, that originate? The idea was, oh, if the you know, gov- politicians, especially U.S. politicians, U.S. government says things to say we support the protesters, et cetera, it'll just be more reason for the government to think this is, you know, a U.S.-backed plot. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the reality is they're going to think that anyway. Right. Yeah. And so Graham, oh, I know he's, he's actually good. He's got a good, good newsletter on now. He just launched. Um, he, he's right. I mean, you have to be able to say that. And I thought the U.S. government, you know, they put out, it was a statement in response to questions. And it was, it was a, I thought it was a reasonable statement. It was not sort of fanning the flames or saying, you know, go protesters, you know, go, right. right? It, it, it was, and, you know, the challenge too with, with sort of the political support or political grandstanding, depending on how, how you see it in terms of supporting these protesters is it's really easy to sit here in the U S or other countries outside China and encourage these people to go on the streets. And, and, but you are not the people who are facing the, the system and what the system can and will likely do to some of these protesters. Right. Right. And so I think you have to be really careful about sort of what you advocate for. Well, yeah, I mean, we all, I mean, we obviously all would like that, these people could go on the streets and f- protest freely and not be worried about being arrested because they chant slogans or they ask for less censorship. And and reading from afar, so obviously there's a fantasy where protests of hundreds and thousands turns into tens of thousands and a hundred hundred thousand people and more people than the government can possibly contain. Right. At some point, they get swamped. Right, and and if that were the case. A, I'm not sure the government would have any good options, but B, I'm not sure that story has a happy ending for anyone involved. Like if it, 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 at that point, it's likely that some sort of show of force would be. Yeah, no, it's it's the it's only a solution. it's a very complicated, dangerous situation. I yeah. think you know what, what's also in some ways Xi Jinping. You know, there's articles talking about oh, this is huge pressure on Xi Jinping. In some ways, the timing for him is fortuitous because if they were, this were to have happened, say, September, August, early October, before the party congress, um, it could have actually led to some broader political pressures at the top mm. inside the system that might have thwarted uh, what he ultimately achieved at the 20th party congress. Now that it's happening a month after the congress, where he ran the table with personnel, he ran the table inside the security services it's far less likely that it's going to lead to real political pressure on him personally. Yeah. Um, I think the next thing to watch for 
um, will be, you know, the 89 was sparked by the death of a leader who was, who was, who was a reformer and he was, he was pushed out of a job. You know, there's a, one of a, she's predecessors is 96. There were rumors a couple weeks ago, he had died and then was revived. It jumped him in. Um, you never know every year there's a rumor he's about to die or he's died. And then he always reappears. Um, he is 96. So at some point mm-hmm. the rumor will be true. Uh, you know, in this kind of environment, if some, you know, people actually look pretty fondly back on the Jiang era from the sort of the, the post Tiananmen Square through the early 2000s, where yeah. it was a, a lot of economic growth. By the late 90s, early 2000s, it was, it was a, lot, a lot of growth, felt like it was opening up in a lot of ways um, again. And so I think there's potential for uh, sort of an outpouring of nostalgia and mourning and respect that really is used as a vehicle to protest the current situation. And that's something we've seen in previous periods of Chinese history. Well, yeah. So in, as far as the current situation, the one thing we should be clear about, the reason there are not more protests is because the police have sort of flooded the zone in, in some of the bigger cities where we saw protests over the weekend. So Selena Wong said, I went to the exact same place where protests were in Beijing last night totally quiet. Instead, an entire street of police vans. This is a police state with far-reaching security slash surveillance, no social media that allows people to easily mobilize and gather. My question, though, when we look at potential political risks for Xi, if the protests do flare up again, and, and if they get larger in the weeks to come, does he risk looking weak if he relaxes the COVID restrictions. And in that scenario, like he sort of has a no win situation where you can either relax the COVID restrictions, which needs to happen for the economy, or you keep the COVID restrictions in place and the economy continues to be strangled and everyone is, is miserable and increasingly outraged. Like I'm just not sure what recourse the CCP has. I don't expect them to go quietly in any scenario, but if the protests were to continue, like what options are available to Xi there? Well, I think what you'll see is, uh, you know, again, like we we talked about earlier, there actually have been real shifts in the COVID policy, mm-hmm. right? In terms of a, um, a relative loosening over the last couple of months or since the, I guess it was not a lot, last month or so. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, you're you're also seeing a lot of, a lot of the blame is going towards the local officials for improper or excessive implementation. Yeah. And I think that that's something that um, is sort of a time honored issue where people blame the local officials, but they don't blame the center. They don't blame Beijing. And, you know, sometimes it's true. And sometimes the party is just really good at um, sort of shaping public opinion to direct the anger at the lower levels. And so, I really, you know, and again, maybe I'm too jaded, but I, I just don't think that the there's a high, uh, even a decent percentage sort of scenario or likely scenario where this puts pressure on Xi Jinping himself or the party. I think you'll see, um, again, part of the playbook is you find all these other outlets and other places to blame, disperse that anger, solve some of the problems. And if people can start, if people can get their lives back, and start feeling like, you know, life is getting back to normal and they, you know, they don't have to worry about, you know, they can go out and you can go out and see your friends you and go eat, you can go make money, you can go to school, you can do, go about your daily lives again. You know, most people probably be pretty okay pretty quickly. 
And you don't think she would be concerned about looking weak if he's making concessions? No, because I think, again, they started these, if you want to call them, because they started this shift. Yeah, I mean, it's the right thing to do. Over a month ago, they started this shift before the protests. Yeah. Right? And so so I think there should be a way for a skillful propagandist to basically shape that, that, you know, look, again, we were already moving towards this target. And then these local officials and these PCR, the testing companies and these greedy people over there and, you know, don't ask how they get their licenses, but these bad, evil companies now, you know, they're the ones who messed everything up. They've been the problem for years. They've been the problem for years, right? Oh, and then we got the hostile foreigners over there, you know, and all these other things. And you can, you know, it's just, it's just a, it's, again, I don't mean to make light of it, but it's just something that, you know, it's it's a variation of stuff we've seen over the years is the way that the, the party can can really deflect, diffuse, and shift the the anger and the attention away from sort of the top. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of strategies, I, one thing that was really interesting over the weekend, as the censors were at home, apparently, there was also this flood of Chinese bots flooding Twitter with escort ads and trying to make it more difficult for Chinese users to access information about the protests. There were escort ads and like porn bots. Yeah. And it, it, like, had you ever seen anything like, Not like that? So you search for like Beijing or Shanghai in, in Chinese with the Chinese characters. And all the results were these totally sketchy, basically not safe for work ads. All right, and that's the end of the free preview. If you'd like to subscribe and receive full episodes of this show, you can do that in two ways. First, you can go to Sinicism.com and sign up for Bill's newsletter, which will also give you access to all of our Sharp China shows. Or if you want to receive all our Sharp China episodes, along with daily analysis of the tech business from Ben Thompson, several other podcasts about technology, and more shows that we'll be adding in the months to come, you can click the link in your show notes and subscribe to Stratechery Plus. 